Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So good to see you today. How many of you know somebody you wish you were here today? Goodness gracious, why would you not want to be here today? Goodness. We're having church, right? We're going to start a new series today called When Heaven and Earth Meet Together. And, and I really feel like God is uh, moving and saying and doing some things that's going to stir your life and, and, and your passion. So if you would, uh, take your Bible. We're going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to read a verse together. And this is out of uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And just one verse we're going to read together. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So let's read together. Here we go. Lift up your voice. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together, our gathering here in your name. Lord, bless your word in my lips, in our hearts, and in our ears, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Now turn back to him and say, I think you're going to learn something today. Now look at him in the eye and say, it's about time. I come across this the other day, uh, we have some college football players in our family and you may also, but this is called the college entrance exam for football players. Now you will enjoy this. Uh, there's only 10 questions, if you answer those questions then you may can get into college if you're a football player. What language is spoken in France? German, Chinese or French? <laughs> Number two, would you ask William Shakespeare to build a bridge, sail the ocean or ride a play? What religion is the Pope? Jewish, Catholic, Hindu, Swedish, or agnostic? What time is it when the big hand is on the 12 and the little hand is on the 1? Is it 5, 9, or 1? Approximately how many commandments was Moses given? Number 6, spell either cat, dog, or pig. Number 7, people who live in the north are called westerners, southerners, or northerners. Uh, you're enjoying this, aren't you? Way too much. Number eight, six of the kings of England have been called George. The last one was called King George VI, named the previous five. <laughs> Where does rain come from? Macy's, 7-Eleven stores, cats and dogs, or the sky? And here's the last one. What is the phone number for 911? And at the end of the test, it says you must at least get five correct to be admitted to college. <laughs> well, one of the things that, that we do know, some people just get in times of learning instead of a lifelong time of learning. And you and I have to be lifelong learners. We just can't say I'm going to learn, you know, from a kindergarten to 12 or a kindergarten to college or whatever. You have to be constantly learning. I have to be constantly learning. So we don't ever get to a place where we're not receiving from God, learning not only the things of the Spirit, but just we have a world full of knowledge, right? And so you and I have to be constant learners. So uh, 
there are precepts and keys we're going to talk about this morning that I want you to get. And uh, I don't want you to get bogged down in the details or the minute uh, uh, aspects of it, but I want you to see the, the big picture. And obviously the answer is yes, we can learn, we can get the big picture. So today let's look at the larger view and see how we can specifically apply it to our life. Now, go back to the verse we read. He says, what does the Lord require of you? Say that with me. What does the Lord require of you? Now let's all say it. Here we go. What does the Lord require of you? So does the Lord require something of you? And the answer is yes. Now I want to give you a little uh, caveat at the beginning. We're not talking this morning about salvation. You and I are saved by grace through faith. You cannot work up your salvation. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You can't work enough. You, you can't be religious enough, smart enough, educated enough, have enough money to get saved on your own. The only way you're going to get saved is through Jesus Christ, what he did at the cross, him shedding his blood, you believing in him. Are we clear on that? But the Lord does require some things from you. And he requires some things from me. Because that's what he says. What does the Lord require of you? Now, in that light... If you look at the word require here, it is the Hebrew word karash, which means this is what the Lord is seeking, pursuing, asking, demanding, or requiring. So God does require some things from us and want us to respond to him. Now, one of the most famous verses about that is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. You, you know this, if my people, which are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves if they shall pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Now, notice this. My people which are called by my name. Do we have any people called by the name of the Lord here? When you got saved, the Bible says his name came upon you. Matter of fact, in the spirit, although you cannot see it carnally or physically, I'm going to tell you the spirit world sees the name of the Lord. You are his. And so my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. They shall pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then God says, I will, say this with me, I will, here we go, I will hear from heaven, forgive the, the sin, heal the land. So the first part of that, God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to humble yourself. I want you to pray. I want you to seek me. I want you to turn from your wicked ways. And when you do that, then this is what I will do. I will hear you. I'll respond to you. I'll forgive you. I'll heal your land. So God is saying, if you do this, I'll do this. Something happens on the earth and heaven responds. Something happens on the earth and heaven responds. Sometimes we're waiting for God to do something and God is waiting for us to do something. We're in a hold pattern and we don't see our miracle. We don't see our progression. We don't see what we want to see. We don't see growth. We don't see fruitfulness. We're waiting for God to do something. And all the time he's waiting for us to do something. Something is done on the earth and heaven responds. Now, when humanity and deity come together, there's a marvelous manifestation. Do you realize Jesus is humanity and deity? He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is God Almighty, Yahweh in the flesh. He is human and divine at the same time. It is a mystery, Paul said. I don't fully understand the mystery, but I do know this. It is a mystery. Now, what happened here? Heaven and earth came together. 
Now, take your Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, and I want to share with you the account that I think is one of the most marvelous accounts in this concept. Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and uh, King Ahab is the king of Israel. He has married pretty poorly, and he married a lady by the name of Jezebel. When you marry poorly, it doesn't work out well. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together. So he married this lady who is from up around Tyre and Sidon. And uh, the, the father's name was Ethbel. And the Baal is the name of their Canaanite god. And so they did this a lot of times simply because they're trying to align nations and countries. You know, this uh, uh, son will marry the daughter of this king over here. So there, there's an alignment there. They're politically more powerful. They, they have more economy. So it was a very common practice. But the problem is that she brought her religion with her. And her religion is the religion of Baal and Asherah or Ashtaroth. I mean, there's several different names here, which is the mother goddess or the Canaanite goddess or what we would even say God's wife. And so they, they believe that God had a cosort or uh, a council there. And so here we have this pagan religion that is coming in. So to please her, Ahab falls right into that. And now we see in this story that there are 450 false prophets of Baal and 400 uh, prophets of this Canaanite goddess that are being fed by Jezebel at her table. She is supplying everything that they need and this religion is permeated, this false religion all through Israel. So God speaks to a guy relatively unknown. We don't hear about him until uh, this uh, story. His name is Elijah and God says, Elijah, go tell King Ahab, it will not rain again until I say so. So for about three and a half years, it does not rain. Let me tell you, if it doesn't rain any in three and a half years, you're in desperation. They're trying to keep the crops alive, which they can't. They're trying to keep the animals alive, which is very tough. They're trying to keep the people alive. There is drought. There is famine. It is horrible for three and a half years. Now, at the end of three and a half years, God says to Elijah, he says, I want you to go back to Ahab and tell him you need to meet with him and it's going to rain. Now, he, he finds Obadiah on the way. Now, Obadiah is, uh, he's hiding the prophets of God. You know why? Because Jezebel's killing them. So he hides them by 50 in caves. He's bringing them food. And then Elijah said, go tell King Ahab, I want to meet with him. And Obadiah says this, I'm not going to tell him that because as soon as I tell him that, He'll come to here and you won't be here. You're gonna, the Spirit of the Lord will take you away. You will not be here. And Elijah says, no, I'll be here. Now, now, why would Obadiah say that? Because once he went in before King Ahab, they didn't see him again for three and a half years. Where did he go? Well, the Bible says the Lord instructed him to go to the brook Cherith. So there he's drinking water out of the brook. The birds are bringing him happy meals every day. Something like that. So the birds are feeding him, but when the brook dries up, he sends Elijah to a widow woman to sustain him. So he's out of the picture for three and a half years. Now he shows up. He's going to have this meeting with King Ahab. And so Ahab comes, and when he sees Elijah, this is his greeting. You're the one who's troubling Israel. And you know what Elijah's response is? No, I'm not. You're the one who's troubling Israel. 
It's because of you we're in this condition. So he says, I want to meet you on Mount Carmel, bring all those false prophets that your wife has uh, accumulated, and we're going to have this Holy Ghost showdown on Mount Carmel. And uh, I tell you what, about three or four years ago, we were all on Mount Carmel together, Randy and Mary and Carrie and I and some of us, and we were up there, and uh, my perspective of this story completely changed when I was on top of Mount Carmel. Because this was a pivotal point in Israel's history. Now picture in your mind, Elijah's there, nearly everybody wants him dead because of the drought. God has sent him there on mission and on point, and there they come, and uh, he's confronting King Ahab, Jezebel, and 850 false prophets. These false prophets are given a challenge. I want you to build an altar, lay the wood out. I have a bullock, you have a bullock, let's kill them. Whoever answers by fire. If Baal answers, then Baal's God. If Jehovah answers, then Jehovah's God. So that's the challenge. So they start in the morning. Everybody say in the morning. So the, the false prophets, they build their altar. They lay the wood out. They sacrifice the, uh, the bullock. And they lay the meat on the altar. And the Bible says from morning to noon, they called out on Baal, but no answer. Baal sent fire. Baal sent fire. Answer us, answer us. No answer. They're never going to get an answer. Goodness gracious, what are they thinking? That's just dumb. Now, at noon, Elijah responds. So he's given them about three hours or so. So at noon, Elijah responds. And this is his response. Cry louder. I don't think he can hear you. I think he's meditating. Maybe he's on a long journey. And let me just give you the Oklahoma vernacular. I think he's on vacation. So they begin to cry louder. They begin to jump up and down, dance around the altar, and the Bible says, and as their custom was, they begin to bloodlet. They begin to cut themselves with knives and sharp stones. They begin to bleed themselves on the altar. And by evening, there is still absolutely no answer. Now, Elijah takes over. At the time of the evening sacrifice, he took 12 stones, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel. He rebuilds the altar. There was an altar there at one time. How many of you know there are some people who need to rebuild the altar? There was an altar there one time. They need to rebuild. So he rebuilds the altar with 12 stones. He lays the wood out, kills the bullock, puts it on the altar on top of the wood and then he does something very unusual. He takes 12 barrels of water pours over the sacrifice over the wood, over the stone he even had a trench built around the altar to contain the water. The most important sacrifice at the altar was not the meat or the bullock, it was the water. Let me tell you why it has not rained in how long? About three, three and a half years. So the most valuable thing is the water there on the altar because if you need water, what do you sacrifice? You sacrifice water because whatever man soweth, that he shall also reap. If you're sowing wheat and want corn, we need to pray for you. If you're planting, if you're planting an apple tree and you want oranges, we need to pray for you. Whatever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So he pours 12 barrels of water on top of this altar and this sacrifice. And then he begins to 
pray. And I want to give you the words. This is verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the eating sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. He begins to speak what he wants to see happen before it happens he said their hearts are going to be turned back to you and all of a sudden after this prayer what happens fire from heaven comes down consumes the sacrifice the wood the stones the water and the bible said licked up the dust from the ground man that is a Spielberg moment there was nothing left God took the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the water, the dust. And, and when you looked at it, there was nothing left but what? The fire of God coming down. Now, I said all that to say this. God will not send holy fire on an empty altar. Sometimes you and I are wanting God to move. Sometimes we're wanting our miracle, we're wanting our answer, and we're saying, God, why don't you show up? Why don't you give me the miracle, the healing? Why don't you give me the prosperity? Why don't you give me the answer? And God is saying, well, what have you done? I mean, what move have you made in this direction? What, what move have you went to this direction? You see, sometimes we want God to move and we haven't done anything. And you say, well, Pastor, is it true that we really have to do something? Well, I, I think, you know, if we look at Scripture... This is what the Lord doth require of you. If my people which are called by my name shall do this, this, and this, then I will answer from heaven and I will do what? This, this, and this. I'm not talking about salvation, but I'm going to guarantee you, you need to move forward. I need to move forward. We need to build the kingdom. We need to grow this church. We need to lift up the name of Jesus. What are we doing to make that happen? Or are we just saying, God, make it happen. Just do it. Just do it. And God is saying, you do this, I'll do this. There has to be a merger of heaven and earth. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, I want to give you three things. I'm just now starting the sermon. I got 19 minutes. Here we go. Here's number one. What is our part? What do we do? Here's number one. We have to believe. We have to be believers. You see, notice what Elijah said here. He said, Lord, this is what you said to do. So we have to believe. Our belief is based on God's intentions. And God's intentions is God's will. And we can know his will. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says that, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as what? A living sacrifice and that your minds may be transformed renewed and you can know what is that good acceptable and perfect will of God and when you know the will of God then you begin to move toward that will because you are the sacrifice there had to be a sacrifice on that altar when Elijah laid it out God does not consume empty altars if you're walking in here and saying, God, I want you to move today. I want to feel your spirit. I, listen, you're the sacrifice. If I'm wanting holy fire to fall, then I've got to be the sacrifice. God does not send holy fire on empty altars. Can I hear an amen? So, you say, Pastor, okay. Are you sure that's what we're supposed to do? You're instructed to pray that way. Our Father 
which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You want to see, he's asking you to pray, let there be a merger of heaven and earth in your prayer. This is my will in heaven. May the will on earth be the same. Let there be a combination. Let there be a merger. Let, let there be a joining of the will in heaven and the will on the earth. Now, why are you and I in this merger mix? Why is it necessary that we do that? Because God wants his will implemented on this earth. And he expects us, requires us, this is what I want you to do to implement his will. And it's necessary that we do that. Well, pastor, cannot God do that without me? Sure he can, but he won't. Let me tell you why. It's against his will. It's against his nature. God, why, why can't you let me win the lottery? Well, at least help me buy a ticket. You know, I'll do my part, you do your part. You see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be silly, but I'm going to guarantee you there's a huge principle here. If we get it, it's going to help you. It's going to help you on your job, your marriage, your life, your kids. It's going to help you in building the kingdom. If you can get this concept down, there has to be a merger of heaven and earth. Pastor, why? Because, listen to the first words that God spoke to a man and a woman. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He gave authority and dominion to us on this earth. He gave us authority and dominion on this earth. Is that what he said? So he said, thy will be done in earth as it is in Heaven, so who has the authority to exercise that authority and that dominion on the earth? And that's us. God is saying, if you do this, I'll do this. There has to be a merger. There has to be a meeting between heaven and earth. Now, the motive and the mandate comes from heaven. But the action and the application is done on the earth. Let me say that again. The motive and the mandate comes from heaven, but the action and the application is done on the earth. Are y'all getting anything out of this? So, listen, I am so passionate about this this morning because I think it's going to just give you so much help and me so much help as we go forward. Now, notice what Elijah said. He said, I've done all these things at thy word. Now what? At thy word. So immediately when he said at thy word, what did he do? He began to go into action. So here's number two. So the first thing we have to do is what? Believe. And secondly, we respond. First we believe, then we respond. When we respond, it becomes an act of faith. Faith without works is dead. Well, when I see it, I'll start moving. You'll never see it. When I see this church is filled, then we'll build it. You'll never build it. When I see that new youth center filled up with kids, then we'll build it. Never build it. You've got to see it in here, in here, before you ever see it out here. And then if you see the will of God, if you see it in the spirit, then what do you do? Then you begin to move to the application because then you bring the will of God from heaven where? To the earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are moving, we're responding in faith, not a concept of faith. 
I mean, most people here have this ethereal concept of faith. But if we don't put action to our faith, then it's really not faith at all. But if we put action to our faith, then we're moving to bring his will to the earth. And if we fail to respond, it's like saying, God, you do this and I'm not going to participate at all. So I have to participate with God, this merger of what? Heaven and earth to see it happen. Elijah's actions resulted in God's response. Elijah's action resulted in God's response. If he had not rebuilt the altar, if he had put no wood on it, no sacrifice there, no water there, and he just stood there and says, okay, God, answer by fire. You know what I think God would say? I don't send holy fire on empty altars. Now, Please don't be upset with me because I believe we need all the worship and the the shouting and, and the expression to God that we can. But sometimes, sometimes we're like the false prophets of Baal. We're dancing around the altar and we're not moving in God's will and getting action out there. Listen. We can jump around empty altars all we want to, but God's not going to answer by holy fire. He answers when we move in faith in his will to do what he wants us to do. Can I hear an amen? So we have to respond. Here's the third thing. When we respond, then God responds. He reciprocates back to us. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. How many of you learned that in school? Okay, three of us learned it in school. So, anyway, (laughs) God responds when we respond. He said, well, Pastor, I don't see how that works. I don't don't think you're right. Okay, that's all right. John chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples come up on a blind man. He's been blind since he's been birthed. This man, born blind, and here was the theology of the disciples. This is what they've been taught. Who sinned? This man or the parents? Surely he's blind because somebody sinned. You know what Jesus said? Not so. Not so. He didn't say this guy's blind because somebody sinned. He said this man is blind for the glory of God. And then Jesus does something amazing. He spits on the ground, takes the clay or the mud, and he rubs it in his eyes. This is crazy, isn't it? He spits on the ground, makes some mud and clay, and he rubs it in his eyes. And then he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, that almost sounds cruel, doesn't it? Making the blind man go wash in the pool of Siloam. I don't know if he had somebody with him. Does he have a white cane? Does he have a C&I dog with him? I don't know. I'm going to say no. This guy has to go to the southern part of the city to the pool of Siloam, which is fed by the Gihon Spring. They just found it a few years ago. And you have to go down into it. It's in a basin. You have to go down steps to get into it. It's not easy to get to. It takes some effort to get there. Why didn't Jesus just lay his hands on him and say, you're healed? Because he wanted him to give some human action. He wanted him to respond to what Jesus did, go wash in the pool. And this guy goes to the pool, washes his eyes, and when he lifts up, he sees for the first time in his life. Isn't that amazing? But what would have happened if he didn't go? What would have happened if he didn't make the effort? I think he would have still been blind. What do you think? 
Now, this is not just one account. What about the guy who's let down through the roof? Remember him? I mean, his friends tear the roof back. They let him down on a stretcher because there's so many people around the house they can't even get close. The friends go up. They pull back the tiles. Boy, I hate to be the guy who owned the house, right? He's going to have to call the roofer. So they pull the tiles back. This is not just a little hole. They have to tear a big hole to get the stretcher down, and they let him down in the presence of Jesus. Everybody's kind of watching this. Interrupts the sermon, right? And so here he is, and Jesus says, is it easier to say for this man to be healed, take up your bed and walk, or forgive him of his sins? And you know what Jesus said? You're forgiven of your sins. And it shocked everybody. You know what they said? Only God can forgive sins. Yeah, you're right. Only God can forgive sins. Your sins are forgiven. And then he says, notice this, take up your bed and walk. If I could take up my bed, I wouldn't need the healing. But isn't it interesting that Jesus almost in every healing required somebody to do something for that to happen. Why? You have authority. You have dominion on this earth. He has given that to us. We need this merger of heaven and earth to come together to see the results that we need on this earth to grow the kingdom, to help you in your marriage, help you with your children, help you with your business, help you in every area of your life. And so this guy gets up and he takes up his bed and begins to walk. Isn't that something? Or what about the guy who has the withered hand? Remember him? He can't use his hand, it's withered. And Jesus said something to him that we think, what? He said, stretch forth your hand. Now let's just play the guy for a minute. If I could stretch forth my hand, I wouldn't need you to pray for me. I can't stretch forth my hand. But do you realize that guy tried? And as he stretched forth his hand, what happened? A miracle happened. If you and I are not willing to stretch, we may not see what God can do in our life. There is no birth without stretching. Ladies, that was a good time for you to amen me here. Right? If you want increase, if you want a miracle, if you want a delivery, if you want to see greater things, you have to be stretched. And there is no birthing without stretching. Stretch forth your hand. Question, are we willing to be stretched? Are we willing to be challenged? Are we willing to build altars? Are we willing to do what God wants us to do? Lord, Elijah is saying this, Lord, I have done what you have what? Asked me to do. This is what the Lord requires of you. And so when I do what God wants me to do, then God does what only he can do. Amen? Listen, there's, a, there's so many things I can't do, but I can do what I can do, and God does what only he can do. Amen? I'm interested in stretching. I'm interested in growing. I'm interested in seeing God's miraculous be manifest in the sight of all the people. When we were on Mount Carmel, it changed my perspective. You look to the east and there is the Valley of Megiddo. You know what it's called? 
Armageddon. That's the Valley of Megiddo. And there you see all these towns and these cities around. And I was thinking as we stood on the Mount Carmel area that you didn't have to be right there to see the fire come down. You could have been in that city or that city or over here in the field. And when God's fire came down, how many of you know you could see it on top of that mountain? But that fire did not come until Elijah built an altar. Until he put the wood out and he put the sacrifice out and he poured the water on it because he said, Lord, I have done what you told me to do. Now, let's paraphrase this because this is not your Bible. This is just my opinion. I think this is what he's saying. Now, God, you need to do what only you can do. I've done what I can do, but now you need to do what only you can do. Here's the question. Have we done, have we done what we can do? Lord, I want you to bless my finances. Well, I will give you pressed down, shaken together, running over, and men shall heap into your bosom if you will what? If you will give. I'm going to give you a lot of friends, but you first must be friendly. How many of you see how this works? This thing is thematic through the Bible. And so as we do this, God says, I'll do this, you do this, I'll do this, you do this, I'll do this. Now, let me go back to the beginning. You can't save yourself. You can't do anything to save yourself except respond to him. But once you're saved, and once you and I come to Christ, I'm telling you, listen, old man, there are some things that are required of you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to repent. I want you to turn from your wicked ways. I want you to pray and seek my face. Then I will answer from heaven. How many of you think we need an answer from heaven? I tell you, we need an answer from heaven. And if you're here today, if you're new today and you haven't been coming long, I'm going to tell you, this is exciting times. God has you here for a reason. We're moving. We're growing. We're gaining. God is doing something in our midst. But let's do our part. Let's do what we can do so he can do what he only can do. Do not make the mistake of waiting for holy fire when you have an empty altar. Why aren't we seeing holy fire? Because every day you walk in here, you're the sacrifice. You're the sacrifice. And so am I. So therefore, holy fire can fall on full altars. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.